We are going to continue in our series we started last week. We called it How God Makes Bad Men Good, the book of Romans. And so if you brought your Bibles with you, I need to go ahead and open mine also to Romans chapter 1. Uh, most of the sermon is going to be in verses 16 and verse 17, a message I'm calling Not Ashamed. Uh, want to start, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Okay? My story, when I first got saved, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it, comes it's a great song. I should have intro music all the time. <laughs> hey, when I first got saved, I realized, hey, I'm now going to heaven. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Most of my buddies that I've been running with aren't going to the same place I'm going. My, my friends, they, I, I came to have a personal encounter with Christ, and a lot of my buddies that I ran with didn't hold the same situation that I held to. And so I was like, wait a minute. I'm going to heaven, but these guys, if their life ended today, a lot of them are going to go to hell. So what do I do? I love my friends. I, I don't want my friends to go to hell. I really, really wanted to share my faith with my buddies. And, you know, sometime later, not immediately, but I'm sure t- sometimes later, they came to the point where like, I don't really want to see John because he's that nutbag. So it's always going to talk about Jesus. But so they, they weren't all exactly excited about hearing about Jesus and him crucified. Most of them were more in, more excited about you know, the bar scene and, and chasing after women. That's what they were interested in. Some of my buddies are also kind of intimidating to talk to, okay? I wasn't afraid they were going to beat me up. I've been beat up before. That's no big deal. But though some of them, they're they're kind of meatheads. They're also pretty smart guys. They're kind of intimidating. They they hold strong opinions that are opposite of of my belief system. And so I knew that they were going to object to what I now believed. Also, I knew one of their, I just knew deep down, they're going to say, hey, we were with you. You know, just not all that long ago when you were doing the same things we're doing. So who are you to tell us that this is not what God wants us to do? I knew they were going to say that. At the same time, I was never the guy that thought, well, you know, I'm just going to share the gospel through my changed behavior. That was never my approach. I understand why some people might think like that. But it wasn't just my friends. It was also my family. You know, I I love my family. I mean, I love my family, and I know that they, many of them did not hold to the same belief system that I now hold to. And so early on, I would try very poorly to share the gospel with them. And then when they didn't accept the gospel message, I very badly was telling them I, I got angry. Because I love my family more than I love my own life. And I'm trying to tell them the very meaning of life. And they're rejecting what I'm telling them. And so it kind of made me angry. And that's a terrible way to share the gospel. Finally, I decided, okay, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be the guy that can walk in and tell somebody what I believe. And I came to realize this. I was a pharmaceutical rep for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. And my job was going to a doctor's office. And to talk to a man or a woman that has their PhD, that's been through medical, my job is to talk to them and tell them why one medication is better for their patient to the other than their other, their, some other medication. But then I'm like, wait a minute. I can say that, and I was really, really good at it, but at the same time, I can't tell them about Christ I don't know how to tell them about this life-changing, the most greatest news that's ever happened. And I was like, that's weak. How can it that I can talk about this, but I can't talk about Christ? I'm like, that's, that's just not right. So I said, 
I'm going to fix that. Well, the church that I went to at that time, we had something, we'd meet once a week on a Tuesday night, and we'd go out and we'd share the gospel. There was a couple guys, this group of guys, they would go to an apartment complex and just go knock on any random door. We tell you, that's wild when you do that, because you don't know what's on the other side of that door. You get to some crazy conversations. Amazing. I love it. And there's another group of people that would go and visit people that visited our church. And I've done both, but I remember I was, I, I got, uh, me and one of my pastor buddies, we were going out. I'm just a church member at this time, and we're visiting people that visit our church and trying to share the gospel. And I got to watch him share the gospel a bunch of times. And I remember the house that we pulled up to the front of the house. He said, okay, now it's your turn. I'm going to sit back. You're going to share the gospel, and I'm here in case you get stuck. And so we went in and knocked on the door, and the husband and wife opened the door, invited us in. We sat down. I was telling telling this, this husband about the gospel, that, that we're sinners, and our sin, it separates us from God, and, and yet we're, the wage that we earn for this sin is death, but yet God loves us so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for what we have done, and if you believe this by faith, you can be saved, and the guy said, I want Jesus. What do I do now? I, I didn't know what to do, because I'd never got, no one ever said yes before, but that was crazy. Fortunately, my buddy was there. He jumped in and like led the guy through a prayer. I'm like, well, I could do that. That's easy. And it was soon after. We're out again on another Tuesday night, and we're in a kind of a seedy part of town, Oildale, California. And I remember very vividly the apartment complex we went to. We went to visit this gal. We pull up in the parking lot, and there's two other people from our church that are already there. And so we figure out that they're, they're at the same house. So I remember saying, oh, you got this. We'll go somewhere else. They're like, no, no, no. You need to stay. See, they'd already been talking to her. They got some more of her backstory. And I think they kind of got to a spot like they didn't know what to, to do. Well, my background, I, I, I've got a past. And so there's a lot of stuff that really doesn't make me blush. I wish it did, but whatever, it, it doesn't. So I started talking to her. And it turns out she's a dancer, Read between the lines, if you will. <laughs> and, and then not only is she a dancer, she's probably doing other things other than just dancing. Please continue to read through the lines. And I'm sharing God's plan of salvation. Jesus has died for sinners. And I remember very vividly, she said, but Jesus can't forgive me for the things I've done. And so my response was, I said, well, then you don't know who Jesus is and you don't know what, what he has done. He can forgive anybody. And so there's the, the five of us, we're in her little apartment, and then eventually she just cried out. She said something like, I want to give my life to Jesus. And the five of us knelt in that little apartment in Oildale. We held hands, and she gave her life to Christ. Now, hear me on this. Uh, well, I, I believe that her life is forever changed. I don't remember her name but I think there's going to come a day where I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to meet, meet her on the streets of glory. It's going to be amazing. But I'm under no delusion that I did any of it, that God did it. I didn't change her. God changed her. But, but this is what I think, that I don't deserve to be used by God like that. I have no privilege, I have no right for God to choose to work through a sinner like me. What God should do, he should set me aside and just go about changing people's lives and their eternal destiny and forget like a, a wretch of a sinner like me. But yet in his sovereign plan, God chooses to work through people like me, through people like you, to share this news, to change someone's, not only their life, but their eternal destiny. 
If you've never experienced this, let me tell you, this is the most awesome feeling there is in the world. That, that the God of the universe, the God that hung the stars in the sky, the God that, that set the moon to where it is, the same God that made the earth, made the waters subside, he wants to use you. I mean, the God that makes oxygen and allows you to push out that, 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 that breath through your vocal cords to form words, to share this gospel message, the plan of redemption, it is amazing. There's nothing better. There's nothing better with that. And let, with that, let's read what Paul says about this. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right off the get-go, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And you know what? I think Paul believed it. I think Paul really meant those words when he wrote the church at Rome. Think about what the Apostle Paul has been, up, been through up until this point. Most likely, theologians say that Paul wrote this letter while he is the pastor at the church in Corinth. He hasn't been to Rome yet, but he's writing this letter. See, see, after having a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the, the, the risen Savior... Saul of Tarsus' life was forever changed. It was forever changed. And so what he did, he left this sweet little gig he had of becoming the, the next who's who of Judaism. He left that to go spend three years in a desert being taught by Jesus. The book of Galatians tells us that. And then he goes on to be the, the world's foremost leader in church planning. Though he had no seminary, no, no training to plant churches, that's what he did. And he was... He was we still use Paul's methods to this day. All the while getting beat up, hit with sticks, having rocks thrown at his head until people thought he was dead. He was jailed a number of times. And then eventually he's getting taken out on a road outside of Rome and they cut his head off for what he believed. So yeah, I think Paul really did believe this, that he was not ashamed of the gospel at least he believed that it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I would describe Paul like this. Paul was a stud. He was. Why is this short, squatty, bow-legged, balding, unibrowed Jewish man with a hook nose so unstoppable? What was it about that guy? What was, was, what was it about Paul that I would describe him as that he has no backup in his game Think about it. The religious leaders of Jerusalem didn't intimidate Paul. The political rulers of Judea did not intimidate Paul. The intellectuals of Athens didn't intimidate Paul. The, the Caesars in Rome, they didn't intimidate Paul. And Paul would say it like this. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's what Paul would say. And I want to give us five reasons this morning why Paul was not ashamed, and by extension, why we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Here's reason number one. Reason number one, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel, is because the gospel is good news. Every time you read the word 
gospel, I want you to think to yourself, that means good news. Okay? Every time you read it, every time you hear it, think to yourself, that means good news. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of good, the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul says, why should I be ashamed? It's good news. If it's good news, we shouldn't be ashamed of it, right? Have you ever been around somebody who's really into CrossFit? You've been around that person? I mean, they are just crazy about CrossFit. Everything's about the wad of the day or their new PR or how much they can front squat or how many muscle-ups they can do, right? Or have you ever been around somebody who's really into politics? Don't answer that question. We know the answer to that one. (laughs) How come somebody who's into CrossFit or politics will talk to you until your ears bleed about that or a million other topics like a new diet, a new restaurant, or essential oils, or whatever it may be, but often can't talk about Jesus Christ, can't talk about the gospel. What Paul says about that, he says, I'm not ashamed. Now, there's some people that read that have said, well, since Paul said that, there must have been at least a time or a period where Paul was ashamed. That's what people have said. Maybe maybe Paul is ashamed of taking the gospel to Rome. Why might that be? Well, think about this. Imagine, if you would, trying to take the gospel to Rome around AD 60. During that time, Rome was like the biggest city in the world. It was, it really, it was glitz and pomp and and had all the luxuries and the intellect. I mean, Rome had it going on. So it could be very easy to look at Rome and see the people there and think, they don't need the gospel. Why would people in Rome need the gospel? They've got it all, right? Do you think maybe we could look at some of the people that we rub shoulders with in Warland and think, "Ah, they don't need the gospel? They're fine, right? They're kind of in a similar situation because most of our community, think about this, consists of a hardworking husband married to his wonderful wife. They've been married X number of years. They have 3.5 children together. Their, Their kids involved in every activity underneath the sun. And you see their posts on Facebook and Instagram. And so very clearly, they've got it all together, right? They don't need this gospel message because they're just doing just fine. There's a study last year by the United Health Foundation, and it ranks state by state uh, the, the mental status and uh, uh, mental health and for state by state. Do you know who had the highest suicide rate and the least, uh, the lowest amount of mental stability? Wyoming. We were dead last. Suicide is the 10th leading cause in death in the United States. It's the fourth leading cause for adolescents age 14 to 19. Suicide has affected every single one of us in this room, so we don't need to bury our head and pretend like it's not a huge deal. Our friends, our family, our neighbors and coworkers, they need the gospel. Now, I understand why some people might be ashamed of the gospel is because, you know, not everyone is going to see this good news as good news, right? There's a lot of people today that they would say the good news is actually bad news. Many people think, well, who needs this? Who cares about the gospel? I'm going to give my life to a man that came. He said he was God in the flesh, and then they beat him to within an inch of his life. And they nailed him on a cross. They buried him in a hole. Can you understand why people might not be all that jazzed about giving your life to a man that that happened 2,000 years ago? I think it, it makes sense to me, at least a little bit. 
why somebody might be a little hesitant to preach the gospel. And truth be told, the gospel, it's unattractive. It's, it, it's, it's repulsive to a person that hasn't come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. To someone who hasn't been reborn, the gospel is, is not attractive at all. So it might not seem like good news, right? The gospel, it speaks about our lost condition. It does. And so it very clearly strikes a blow to human pride and to ego. That's why people react adversely to the gospel. They criticize it. They, they scorn it. They become angry when they hear it. And I have watched with my own eyes brilliant men just become openly hostile and angry when they hear the gospel. These people show contempt against the gospel. They argue against it because that's what they do. Because often it makes people angry. Christians go silent. We don't open our mouths and we don't share. We become embarrassed about this message. Even though Paul says, hey, it's good news. And I would think that most of us here would agree with the fact that probably the greatest roadblock for you and I to sharing our gospel is we're afraid. It's fear. The Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare, right? Over and over and over again. The, the Bible says, fear not. That's, that's what God says. I wish every single one of us were, we could be more like Paul, where we honestly could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I wish we could if we're being honest, but the truth is there's times where I fail, fall flat. I get scared. I don't open my mouth. After all, I don't want to be called names. I don't want to be called a moron. I don't want to get rejected. I don't want someone to laugh off this, this what I believe is the most awesome news ever told. There's times I've gone silent. I've done it. You've done it. But yet Paul says, I'm not ashamed. And you know what? I think he meant it. He meant it and he lived his life like he meant it. And the truth is we should too. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we've been reborn, if we came to know this message by faith, then we must open our mouths and share this eternity-changing news with people. Second reason Paul was not, not ashamed. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. That's the reason. Paul's not ashamed because it is the power of God. Look in verse 16 again. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Why would we be ashamed of power? We love power. We love to talk about power. I don't know about girls so much, but guys, we love to talk about power. Now, how many guys can talk to you all day long about their favorite football team and who is the greatest player of all times? I've got the answer to that. 85 Bears. That's the answer. The 1985 Bears was the greatest football team in the history of time. And if you disagree with me, well, you have the right to be wrong. Okay, they had Walter Payton. Sweetness. Trump card. I win. Walter Payton, greatest running back of all time. The Bears are the best. I win. Let's go. How about they had Mike the Samurai Singletary. They had Dan Hampton, Richard Dent, Wilbur Marshall. They had this gunslinging, Copenhagen-chewing, punky QB out of BYU named Jim McMahon. Yeah, the Mormons overlooked the Copenhagen. If you're scoring touchdowns, they will. Um, they, they had Steve McMichaels. They had, oh, did I forget about a 
rookie defensive lineman named William the Refrigerator Perry. Greatest team of all time. And here's the deal. Us guys, we love to talk about it. There's something that's going to come up. Oh, what about this? What about that? See, we love to talk about power. Hey, guys, how about rifles? Should we talk about a 30 6 Springfield or a 416 Magnum or a 450 Marlin? There'll be, oh, what about this one? You forgot that one. I know, right? Because power is awesome. How about hot rods, guys? Should we talk about a 69 Plymouth Roadrunner or a 68 Dodge Charger or a 64 Pontiac GTO? How about a 63 Shelby Cobra? Come on. I guess I'm the only one that liked the cars. Okay, but anyways, we love stuff like that because of the power. But you know what? The, as cool as those are, as powerful those are, don't even scratch the surface to the power of the gospel. I don't know if you, I get jacked up when I start talking about the gospel. Uh, when I first started preaching, my very first sermon, I was just petrified. So I'm right here and just, just terrified and got it out. But then as I got more familiar, I started walking around and I'm screaming and I'm yelling full on Pentecostal until I watched it. I'm like, you need to calm down. That's not worth watching. <laughs> Why? Because it's the power of God. What else can pluck a man or woman that's heading to hell and make them suitable for heaven? What can do that? There's nothing. The gospel's it. The gospel's the only thing that can change a human heart and make them right with God. You know why I think that so many of us aren't all that jacked about this power that I'm talking about? I think it's because there's so many of us who are not exactly convinced this is the only power, right? Let's not go down the road and talk about this religion or that religion, this belief system. Let's talk about Christians, Let's talk about those who profess saving faith in Jesus Christ. Do we really believe it's the only way? Or do we think there's a plan B? That God's going to play loose on this salvation thing? That, that, you know, that we think there's an exception clause? After all, oh, so-and-so, they were really, really, really nice, right? So God's got to let them into heaven, right? To that, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth. And the life, and no one comes to the Father but my me. There is no backup plan. The gospel's it. If that's not true, then why was Jesus tortured, murdered, so that you can place faith in him or some other route, right? There is no plan B. If there's a plan B, why did Jesus have to die? Gospel's the only way. But fortunately for us and the whole world, there is a way to be made right with God, and it's the gospel. The gospel is so powerful that could it take a man like Saul of Tarsus, who is the, the greatest enemy to Christianity, can turn him into the apostle Paul. The gospel is so powerful that they could change thousands of lives during the first great awakening and thousand more during the second great awakening. The, the gospel is so powerful on the, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 men believe and their hearts were changed. They were added to the church, plus women, plus children. I don't know about you, but I have seen with my own eyes, I've seen the gospel change a man's life. I've seen couples come to me with their, their marriages are in shambles and share the gospel. Their hearts are changed and a marriage is healed. I've seen it. I've seen people in the, the grasp of addictions with alcohol or drugs come to know the gospel. Their, their lives are drastically changed. 
You know some of the people too, names like Johnny Cash. If you're more in the rock and roll, Alice Cooper, these men were radically changed. I've seen people so very steeped in religion. They come to know the gospel and they're changed. A guy that became a good friend of mine, he, he was like multiple generations. His family is members of this cult. I mean, like his great-great-grandparents, then his great-grandparents, then his grandparents, then his parents, and then, then all of his siblings are all just neck deep in this cult. And then he comes to understand the gospel and his life has changed. And now he leads a ministry bringing people out of that same cult that he once belonged to. You know, not only is the gospel the power of God, but God promises to us that he will give us this power. Once Jesus said to his apostles, he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the most earth. What he meant was when you open your mouth, when you share this news, I'm there and I will, I will speak and I will change hearts through, through, through what you say and when you share this gospel message. And to that, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's good news and it's the power of God. That's what Paul would say. Let me give you the third reason. Reason number three, Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. It's for everyone. Right? This news is for everyone. Read your Bibles again, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, Paul says, hey, Hey, who's it for? Read it. It's still up on the screen. Who's it for? Everyone. Paul didn't say, oh, it's for the chosen people. That's not what Paul said. It's available for everyone. It's freely given to everyone. Everyone who believes for the Jews first, but also for the Greeks, the Gentiles. Did you know the gospel came to the Jews first? It did. The, the gospels was promised through, the, through these Jewish prophets uh, in this Jewish scripture to a Jewish nation for, in this Jewish context about this Jewish Messiah, this Jewish Savior that would come and be your Savior of the world. It's for the whole world, though. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. She would have been half Jew, half Assyrian. That makes her you know, Gentile, if you will. So, so that's, she's not Greek, and so they're having this religious debate, and, and she says, hey, you Jews, you worship what, what you believe in this, that, and the other thing, and then Jesus says to her, says, hey, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say salvation is for the Jews. He says salvation is from the Jews. Did you know Jesus was a Jew? I remember the first time I ever heard that. It set my mind on tilt. I didn't know Christ as my Savior, and it almost took me down a dark road. I was, I was heavily influenced. I didn't know Jesus was a Jew. Uh, back in the day, I couldn't tell the difference between John and Job. I knew nothing about the Bible. But Jesus was Jewish, and he came as our Savior. Jesus is Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. The first church was Jewish. Salvation came to the Jews first, but it came, went from there, and it's for all the Gentiles too. Did you know that the very strictest Jews, they taught that, hey, God made the Jews to be in heaven with him forever, to enjoy him and be with him. And then those same Jews taught, but he made the Gentiles to fan the flames of hell. 
Fortunately for us, Jesus would disagree with that statement. He would say, because the gospel's for everyone, right? Paul would disagree with that theory because very clearly he states in that verse, verse 16, that the gospel is for everyone. Imagine if you would, you're invited to a party. The party's Saturday night, and it's an amazing party. The food is going to be awesome, and, and the who's who's going to be there. You can't wait for Saturday night. And then your phone, your phone rings. It's, it's your friend, and they're not invited. And they go, hey, what are you doing Saturday night? And you go, oh, can't invite them. It's not your party, right? So what do you do? You go, hey, yeah, I would love to go, but I got a lot of wash to do. That's what we say, Right? We'd be ashamed because we're invited, our friend's not, and there's nothing we can do about it. Paul wasn't ashamed. Why? Because everyone's invited. It's not like only a select few can go. Everyone can go if they accept the invitation. That's why Paul invited everyone. He wasn't ashamed because he wants everyone there. Imagine the same kind of illustration. I'm going to change it. Follow with me. There's a party. It's out at the fairgrounds. Tom can get enough chairs for everybody, okay? Everybody can go. And the barbecue is going to be amazing. Best barbecue, and it's free. And the, the music, the, oh, the music, George Strait's playing. It's going to be awesome. And you've got the tickets. Who are you going to invite? Everyone. I'd be wearing out my phone. You got to come. It's going to be awesome. Be texting everybody. Be walking down the street. It'd be like Oprah Winfrey, right? You get a ticket and you get a ticket and you get a ticket, right? That's what we would do. Total strangers, please come. It's going to be awesome. Well, everyone is invited. And this party is going to be so much better than any party at any fairgrounds. Paul wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed. You know what? You and I, we shouldn't be ashamed either. Here's the fourth reason. Reason number four, Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Because it makes people right with God. Why would we be ashamed of something that makes people right with God? Look at verse 17. Read it. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Do you remember what the book of Romans is about? I I mentioned this last week. The book of Romans is about the imputed righteousness of Christ. And if you know what those words mean, then you know what the book of Romans is about. Let me say it a different way. It's how God makes bad men good. Why would we be ashamed of making bad people right with God? Okay, why would we do? That is the most amazing thing there is in the universe. What that implies, though, that we're not right with God. It implies that there's something going on. There's, there's enmity between us and God. That's what the Bible teaches. I'll say it like this. God's not exactly cool with the way we're living our lives. If you would have asked me before I understand the gospel, hey, unsaved John that doesn't know Jesus, is God cool with the way you live your life? I said, yeah, I'm a good guy. The way I live my life, it's, it's cool. God approves of what I'm doing. And you know what? I would have been dead wrong. Dead wrong. Look at the very next verse, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
I don't want to point fingers at anybody else, so I'm just going to point them at unsaved John, okay? Before I knew Christ as my Savior, if you would have asked me that question, is God cool with you out in public? I would have said yes. And then I would have gone back home, put my head on my pillow. When I was all alone, I knew that was a lie. I knew there was something not right between me and God. That God did not approve the things I was doing. God did not approve the way I lived my life, and I was separated from him. Read Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believed, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, here let me sum it up. I like to say it like this. That Christ can make anyone, anyone right with himself. They can, he can give the status of righteous. It's not something you produce. Okay, it's something that you receive. You can't be made right with God on your own. We've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God says, hey, I got a deal for you. And this is the greatest deal in the entire universe. I'll give you righteous. You can't manufacture it, but I will give it to you. So, so you, this is what you have to do. Receive it. And that's it. Picture, if you will, the entire universe, everything. It's in a little box, okay? And, and our box is really defined by two things. Time, this is defined by time and, and defined by space. Those are our two limitations, okay? It's always a certain hour. You're always in a certain place. You're in that box. You can't get out of time and space, right? Because we're in that box. But we have this gnawing feeling that there's something greater outside of our, our box, if you will. What we, we need, there's something greater out there, but the problem is I can't get out of the box to go find it. But then what happens is there's some joker comes along and goes, hey, I got this great story. I figured it out. Let me tell you what it is. And he, this is the, the story to explain outside the box. I've never seen it for myself, but, you know, it makes sense to me, so it must be right, right? How in the world could that possibly go wrong? Well, it has. It's a great story, but you made it up. Here's the truth. If I'm ever going to know what's outside the box, what I need is whoever is outside the box to come into the box and reveal himself to me, Right? That's the gospel. That's what God did. God took on human flesh and came into our world. That's why Jesus is the incarnate God. You know, God wrote us a letter. It's the first half of this book. It's called the Old Testament. He says, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming, to, I'm coming into your box. And then the gospels are when God showed up. Jesus shows up on the scene and says, hey, I'm God in human flesh. So Jesus came into our world. He knows what it's like to be human, and he was here. And at, when he was here, he paid for what we did on the cross. And Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's how God came to make people right with him. Here's the fifth, last reason. Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because it is simple. Look in verse 17 again. He said, for in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, 
the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 17 says, for the righteousness of God is revealed. Here's the idea. It goes from faith to faith to faith to faith. From your faith to my faith to somebody else's faith, and we pass it down. And Paul here, he is quoting the Old Testament prophet of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. He says that the righteous shall live by faith. It's so simple. What do we need to get saved? What do we need to, to, to get this power of God? You need faith. That's it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Aren't you happy that Paul didn't say, power of God for salvation for everyone who behaves? That's not what he said. God is not asking us to behave. God is asking us to believe. It is belief that Jesus, he is God. He is God in the flesh. He died on a cross for your sins, for my sins, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. He rose victorious from the dead. That's what we're to believe. Now, if you believe that, it will change your behavior. But your behavior will never change your belief. You see, you will see works because of your faith. But here's the deal. It's not the faithfulness of a Christian that saves them. It's not. It's their faith in Christ that saves them. This eternal life, it's a gift. It's not an earning. It is free. It is not a fee. It is received. It is not produced. It is not manufactured. But not everybody will agree with that, right? They'll say, that's just too simple, Pastor John. I got something better. You know what? Jesus on the cross plus this. Oh, isn't that better? No, it's not. They'll say, hey, you have to do this in order to get saved. You got to get baptized. You got to go to church. You got to join a church. You have to receive some anointing in some temple. You got to keep the Ten Commandments. And to that, Paul and Jesus would say, no. Have you ever had somebody tell you, hey, all religions are fundamentally the same. They're only superficially different. I would greatly disagree with that. Because check this out. Take any world religion you want. Take any world religion they want. They'll say, hey, you got to pray five times a day. You got to join this certain church. You got to make a pilgrimage to a certain place sometime in your life. Receive something. You got to do this in order to be right with God. And then comes the, the gospel. And the gospel says you can do nothing. There's nothing you can do. You have to receive what God has done for you. And most people say, nope, too easy. I've got to do something better. I've got to add this. It's almost like a cherry on top of the cake, right? It, see, people either say it's by what I do or it's by what Jesus has done plus what I do. But that the gospel says no. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you add anything to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. You've ruined the gospel. And there's lots of people, they'll admit they're sinners. But what people don't accept is that there's nothing they can do to correct their situation. Just believe? That's too easy. Certainly I have to do something to, to, to get this, this status, right? The status of righteousness. That's human pride. 
long time ago, there was a guy named Martin Luther. If you don't know who Martin Luther is, he sparked the Protestant Reformation. He's the, he's the reason we're not all Catholic, right? Well, at the, at the age of 21, Martin Luther became a monk in Erfurt, Germany. And he was so burdened by his sin and his shame, he became a monk, and he started going to confession. All the time going to confession. Uh, history says he spent hours in confession, just going to a priest and confessing his sins. And said that one time he would go and he would confess his sins for hours, leave, have an evil thought, and go right back and start confessing that thought. And, and so he, there came this day where he said, you know, he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go see the Vatican. And while he was in, in Rome, he went to this Catholic church called St. John Laternan. And in this church, there's this staircase. It's called the Santa Sclara, the, the sacred staircase. And people say that this is the very staircase that Jesus is on when he's being tried by Pontius Pilate. I don't believe that part, but whatever, it doesn't matter. And so what people do is they crawl on this staircase. They get their knees on this staircase and they crawl and they pray. And they crawl and they pray and they crawl and they pray till eventually their knees are bleeding as they're crawling up these stairs. And some, they believe that the, more, the higher you crawl, the more years you shave off your, your, your time in purgatory. Another lie. But Martin Luther, he's on this staircase. He's crawling one step at a time. As he's crawling, this phrase keeps coming to his mind. He's crawling and he thinks... The righteous shall live by faith. One more step. The righteous shall live by faith. Another step. The righteous shall live by faith. History says that he stood up, turned around, walked down the stairs, out the church, went back to to Germany. He thought, I'm going to study the book of Romans. He started studying Romans, and he came to chapter 1, verse 17. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's recorded that Martin Luther said, quote, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that the righteousness whereby God is right, righteously deals with righteously and punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered and grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is the righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Where, thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and I have gone through the open door of paradise. And on that day, Martin Luther lived by faith, not by fear. And he was born again. He rested in, in, not in his confession, he made, not in crawling up some stairs, not in something he could do for God, but what Jesus has done for him on the cross. So here's my question for you, and I'll close this service. Have you came to know this like Martin Luther did? Have you can't come to know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? It's not something we do. It's something that Jesus already done. That we are not saved by our works, but by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you've never come to, to know this, I would ask you to do this now. The Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So if you've never cried out to Jesus, it's usually through a prayer, something like, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You came to die for sinful people like me, but I give you my life. Save me from my sins, and I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen.